Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to Casual Friday. If we can be casual about all the craziness right now, the Justice Department stirring up the country by raiding Trump's Florida palace for documents and apparently rummaging through Melania's closet. What is this? Project Runway Undercover? Hated it. <laughs> Let's rate which dresses we like and don't like. What do we think's in the pockets? What about these handbags? Uh, they, nine and a half hours they were apparently there. This was not a casual search. You know, they had this whole notion where they said... There was a leaker inside that told them precisely where to go. Well, that doesn't sound right if they're rummaging through Melania's dresses. If they knew precisely where they needed to go in a document search, I think they would have been there for about 45 minutes. This had more of a sense of a fishing expedition, or as apparently Paul Krugman joked, since now it's a nukes thing, that's what the Washington Post is reporting, Krugman called it a fission expedition. <laughs> okay, so real journalists, and there are real journalists at liberal media outlets when they want to be, are demanding more transparency out of the Justice Department on this unprecedented step. And we didn't really get it yesterday from Attorney General Merrick Garland. He was supposed to emerge at 2.30 DC time, and then he arrived more than a half hour late. I mean, this is Annoying, very annoying. It's a little insulting to reporters and people trying to cover this event live on TV to give an appointment time like 2.30 and then it's after 3 p.m. and they're still babbling trying to fill the airtime. I would just turn off the live coverage and go back to discussing uh, celebrity child custody battles. What's going on with Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis? Have an Access Hollywood moment. It's annoying that they do this. Now, when I was a White House reporter, I mean, I think there's a lot of reporters that would be like, well, I'll just look at my phone. It's not a big deal. Go ahead, be a half hour late. I don't think they're unused to that. I don't think they get particularly angry about that. I would always be tempted to get, let's get more aggressively, more negative about Garland the longer he takes to come out. So it's like 25 minutes in and they're starting to say, well, clearly he's Hitler. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they saved that for Trump. But it's just, uh, I don't think reporters really mind it. I minded it when I was a White House reporter because I was a commuter. You know, I didn't really have an office downtown. I just hung out at the White House while I was in town. I suppose I could have hung out at the Starbucks. But, uh, you know, you're like, if we got an event on the table, let's get her done. You know, we got a press briefing at 1.30. It starts pretty much at 1.30. Well, that didn't happen yesterday. And then after all of that, the attorney general comes out for five minutes and doesn't answer any questions. And I just, Christopher Ray did this, and then Garland did this. They come out, they won't answer any questions, but they will be, have a big comment on anyone questioning their integrity. Look, you, you underline your integrity by actually answering questions and putting some information on the record. It's, a, it's laying it a little thick to say, we protect the country from terrorism. You can never question our integrity. As the Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote today, 
It's nice to hear Mr. Garland say he personally signed off on the search, but it's a little much to hear him lecture the country that it's beyond the pale to criticize the FBI. After the Russian collusion fraud, the Steele dossier con, the misleading Pfizer requests for the Carter Page warrants, and the Robert Mueller whitewash of all of that, there are plenty of reasons for Americans to take a don't-trust-but-verify attitude to the Bureau. This isn't disdain for the rule of law. It's well-earned skepticism. Now, journalists are supposed to be skeptical of government, regardless of which party's in charge. But under Trump, they were downright conspiratorial, starting with Moscow hookers and P-tapes, not to mention steel dossiers. They weren't skeptical enough of any of that. Now, under Biden, Garland can come out, and now most of these reporters are about as skeptical as if they were all members of the Biden family, like they're all going to meet for an ice cream cone with Joe after the workday is done. On Twitter, Eric Erickson had a personal theory, he tweeted, about this raid. They used classified documents as the excuse to search, but were really looking for January 6-related materials. They didn't find them, so they're now pushing back claiming it was really the classified docs all along. Okay, that's a theory. Notice the media is taking Garland at face value. There's not a lot of theorizing there about why he won't be more forthcoming. There's just a lot of assuming, well, this must be above board. Surely they wouldn't take this extraordinary step without knowing exactly what they're doing. They must have a very good reason. See, that's the all. That's a partisan assumption. Merrick Garland is one of us, therefore, it couldn't possibly be political. It just looks political from the get-go. When, I, when a president uh, or an attorney general for a president raids the, the former president, uh, that would seem to suggest politics. To try to suggest this doesn't look political isn't serious. But this is what I heard yesterday. I had ABC News Live on on our Snapstream system. I was listening to them all talk about, oh, surely, surely the Biden people are serious. And then, of course, it turns around an ABC investigative reporter, Josh Margolin, Josh, starts equating Trump supporters with, of course, neo-Nazis and white supremacists. As soon as President Trump put out confirmation on Monday that the raid had been done and was underway. We immediately started seeing factions on the far right, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, militia organizers calling for violence as they always have done against Jews. The attorney general is Jewish against the FBI, federal law enforcement, against other perceived enemies, enemies they perceive to be enemies of President Trump. It was like clockwork. You know, we can assume that it's a fact that neo-Nazis and white supremacists went to message boards and talked about violence. The liberal media hire reporters now whose full-time job is to monitor those far-right message boards and then report them as if they were the only Trump voting base. NBC was using their full-time neo-Nazi watcher Ben Collins yesterday You know, Ben Collins isn't spending any time on far-left message boards. 
because apparently NBC doesn't think that kind of extremism is newsworthy. There are no extremists to their left. And just to, to drag this all out is, oh, anybody who objects to Merrick Garland, you know Merrick Garland is Jewish. This is the same game they play with George Soros. You criticize George Soros for being a commie, and they're like, we know why you're criticizing George Soros. You know, they didn't play this game in the Trump years. We know why you're criticizing Jared Kushner. Clearly, you're a Nazi. One way to define who here is an extremist is their embrace of extreme tactics. It was horrifying when the story broke yesterday that a radical nut with a gun tried to get into the Cincinnati field office of the FBI. Then it fi they find out he goes up the interstate. Uh, they have negotiation, but after exchanging gunfire with the cops, he was shot and killed. I'm glad everybody at the FBI is safe. They shouldn't have to deal with Armed protesters, if you want to call them that. But, you know, I'm in the car this morning. NPR's top-of-the-hour newscast at 9 a.m. was like, Trump supporters are very angry with this raid on Mar-a-Lago. And then it segued right into, and they shot at the FBI. <laughs> Again, it's this whole idea that this is representative of Trump nation, is the kook with a gun. Now, I understand the kook was here on January 6th. I guess that tracks. But we all know that the media energetically separate the Democrats from a violent fringe. And then they defend the violent fringe like Black Lives Matter. They put on Antifa theorists and help them explain their extremist views and tactics. Yes, we're looking at you, Chuck Todd. Or at least they were big into Black Lives Matter and Antifa until the Democrats came back in power. Now try to find them looking into those movements now. They're not even promoting those movements now, which makes you think that was all part of the tactic to round up all the radical left to vote for the Democrats. And now, since that side may be embarrassing to the Democrats, they don't seem to be noticing them anymore. And yet, leftist Twitter acts like Chuck Todd is just like Chuck Grassley. Did you see this yesterday? Katie Tour was trending on Twitter for trying to fill all the empty minutes while Merrick Garland got a massage or something. Who knows? I just laughed at this one tweet. I had to retweet over it. What is with Katie Turr? Why doesn't she save her what-ifs and stop contributing to the anger of the mega crowd? Maybe she needs to move to Fox. That's what she typed, maybe. And we all do that on Twitter sometimes. I try to take it down once I do that and try over. Maybe Katie Turr should be on Fox. She's contributing to the anger of the mega crowd. Uh, Earth to tweeter. The mega crowd isn't watching Katie Turr. <laughs> now, Fridays are the day for Kimberly Strassel's Potomac Watch column in the Wall Street Journal. And I suspected she would write about the raid today. The headline, The Payback Will Be Brutal. I just want to share some of this with you um, because this is the kind of point of view you won't be hearing on ABC, CBS, or NBC. She notes, no attorney general has ever signed off on a raid on a former president's home in what could be the groundwork for criminal charges. Yet to read the left's media scribes, yeah, that's the so-called mainstream press, 
Monday's search was a ho-hum day in crime-fighting. The Beltway press circled the wagons around Merrick Garland and primly parroted Speaker Pelosi's piety that no one is above the law. The Mar-a-Lago raid proves the U.S. isn't a banana republic, pronounced The Atlantic. Clearly worried, readers might conclude the opposite. It is, quote-unquote, bedrock principle that those who, quote-unquote, commit crimes must answer for them, it lectured. The Washington Post's Aaron Blake attests it's totally standard to investigate presidents. Look at Israel. The New York Times soothingly explains that prosecutors would have carefully weighed the decision and that the investigation, therefore, must be serious. Yeah, right? Isn't that the tone? That's the dominant tone. These are our friends. They are our sources. They are our senior administration sources. We have lunch with them. Clearly, they know what they're doing. Strassel adds, if you have doubt about all this, you're unhinged and lawless. The Washington Post quoted, quote unquote, extremism trackers. See, here comes Ben Collins again. All the extremism trackers are after the far right and not the other side. Extremism trackers explain that any GOP statements delegitimizing the government were nudges toward violence. Said one, they use events like this to feed into this fantasy they've co-created with their supporters. Several outlets claimed Republicans' criticism of justice and the FBI was little more than an effort to inoculate themselves against any probes. This is all standard issue, Democrat media boilerplate. Now, obviously, there are suggestions of violence. That should be the definition of the kooks. And we don't support anybody trying to say this is war. All right? I mean, unless we're kind of being a little whimsical. But it's, you know, these are, these are big words you want to use at a time like this. Democrats may be betting that adverse coverage of Mr. Trump will help them in November or in 2024, Kimberly Strassel writes. They'd better hope so. Their media defenders recklessly ignore the boomerang history of unleashed governmental powers and the long-term political danger of violating precedents and norms. A Democrat Congress enacted and Jimmy Carter signed the first independent council law in 1978. Two decades later, it led to Bill Clinton's impeachment. Yes, the Democrats created the Independent Council because they felt like this would be a, a power center for them. Look at Robert Mueller. It was an independent power center for them and a news-generating power center for them. And then they hated it when it was used against Bill Clinton. And those of us who were here at the MRC in the Clinton years remember that Dan Rather could barely mention Kenneth Starr without constantly saying, the Republican-leaning independent counsel, he routinely identified Kenneth Starr as a Republican to try to say, oh, don't believe anything this guy says. He's a partisan. Um, this is not the way they would do it with Robert Mueller. They would insist he was a Republican as a way of defending themselves. And when you actually pointed out that pretty much a ton of the prosecutors that Mueller hired had donated to Hillary or been, you know, Democratic activists of one way or another, 
uh, and they would say, oh, that's not relevant. Mueller, that's, they tried to say that they, they fact-checked it as saying that doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's factual, but it's still wrong. She warns that a second Trump administration, if it happens, wouldn't have the caliber of grown-ups who signed up for the first tour. Beware. Mr. Garland's raid has made even the highest political figures fair prosecutorial game. And the media's new standard is that the department can't be questioned as it goes about ensuring no one is above the law. Yeah, let's see how that holds, she says. When a future Republican Justice Department starts raiding the homes of Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Eric Holder, James Comey, and John Brennan. They never imagined that this could possibly happen. And that's because they presume that the Republicans would say the media would eat us for breakfast if we tried to do such a thing. And the Democrats know the media will cheer us on if we do such a thing to Trump. This is where you always have to factor in, Newsbusters fans, that the news media, is they expect to be part of the political calculation for both parties. They expect the Democrats to be able to say, we can count on the media to do this, this, and this for us. We can get away with this because the media will enable us to do it. And they want the Republicans to sit in the White House or in a congressional leadership office and say, we better not do this or the media will eat us alive. That's the way they want it. That's how they want to be, the fourth branch of government, unelected, all-powerful, or at least they think they're all-powerful, then they figure out the American people don't trust them because they act like an unelected branch of government. All right, so Strassel sort of rounds it up. Payback could come even sooner. Democrats set a new low with their Ukrainian impeachment circus. And a GOP House next year might be up for a reprise. Get ready for a few more select committees. Perhaps excluding the minority party, as the Democrats effectively did with the January 6th committee, to investigate Mr. Garland's politicized department or Hunter Biden's finances. Watch them subpoena sitting Democratic representatives, as the January 6th committee did to Republicans. Adam Schiff, Ilhan Omar, and Eric Swalwell may find themselves on the backbench with a new Republican majority eager to follow Mrs. Pelosi's example and strip the opposing team's member of committee's assignments. This is exactly what Pelosi did. What's to stop Kevin McCarthy from stripping Ilhan Omar from a committee because she's a Muslim kook? She's anti-Semitic. Somehow the Republicans can be anti-Semitic. Ilhan Omar, it's okay. She can be an anti-Semite. She's a Democrat. Do you notice she just had another squeaker? She had a primary there in the suburbs of Minneapolis. She got just a skosh above 50%. Remember all the national media coverage of how she was about to lose or she was barely going to squeak by? No. No, we don't do that. The squad was useful, just like BLM and Antifa before Biden was elected. Now the squad, eh. Scott Whitlock did a piece for Newsbusters a few days ago underlining how the squad now and, and scrutiny the squad, not a story. So uh, Strasso concludes, the wholesale democratic and media defense of this week's event is so reckless, both parties long understood that political restraint was less about civility than self-preservation. There was on some level the idea 
that, you know, global thermonuclear war is not a game you play. There's no way to win. I mean, you know, what goes around always comes around. And what the media think is, well, we don't have to really worry about that because the Republicans, they won't dare do that. A couple other things to note that I noticed when I was watching through these stories. NBC's Kristen Welker reported that Justice Department sources think Garland needs to make a statement. This was before he made a statement. Then she says that President Trump made baseless claims that FBI agents may have planted evidence while they were there. FBI Director Christopher Wray, who was appointed by Mr. Trump, was asked about the former president's baseless claims agents may have planted evidence at Mar-a-Lago during the search. That's not something that I can talk about, so I'd refer you to the department. Now, how does she know for sure it's baseless? I mean, he didn't have proof they planted anything, I guess. But he was protesting that his lawyers weren't present while they were combing through stuff. But she's just copying the Argot from the New York Times, who also said Trump was baseless. You can find the media won't say, the Biden administration said inflation was 0.0%, which is baseless. Without evidence. These are, these are adjectives they don't use for the Democrats. Has Biden ever been baseless? When he said that the Republicans were Jim Crow 2.0, was that baseless? No. You know, I've also noticed this nasty tendency among reporters to list all the probes, all the people pursuing Trump, the implication being that he's a tornado of scandals, which is true. But that's because the media uses scandals to bring down people, or at least to attempt to bring down people. This is why the media all ran around and bizarrely claimed that Obama was largely scandal-free. Sometimes they, they didn't say largely. Obama was scandal-free. What's missing here is the notion that these probes are often driven by politicians, elected Democrats, who are seeking to glorify and glamorize themselves by heroically posing against Trump. Do you think that that's a bad strategy with liberal media people? I mean, you can start with the January 6th committee itself. They have been lavish with praise everywhere. You know, I did a column on how Liz Cheney is now being promoted as somehow like a Republican Joan of Arc. She's she's seeking martyrdom. It's not for Jesus. But Trump is Satan, apparently. Uh, Then there is... The Biden Justice Department, I would throw them in. You know, they're going to pretend the the Justice Department, Andrea Mitchell says they're so independent. No, it's a Democrat hive. Then there is New York State Attorney Letitia James, who's also tried to destroy the NRA to endear herself to the Manhattan-based media. She wants to be governor. That's why Andrew Cuomo hates her for being oh so tough on his sexual harassment ultimately forcing him to resign. You could see James on that as principled, but you could also see it as, well, clearing a path. Guess which flavor the media choose. They're not going to present Letitia James as a partisan or political actor. 
I mean, ABC and CBS and NBC, all that on Wednesday night, with Letitia James dragging Trump in to proclaim his Fifth Amendment rights in her probe of whether his family overinflated their business successes. Well, I think we know Trump is a boaster. He boasted about successes right before they failed. The, the question is whether this is somehow criminal. Well, they want it to be criminal, or at least suggest it's criminal, so they can get all the headlines for themselves with probes like this. Here's the funny thing, though. None of these network newscasts identified Letitia James as a Democrat. The word, the D word did not show up. They let Trump denounce her as politically biased. But look, here, here's the way they do this. They presume their audience is like them. They know Trump is a massive liar. So we'll allow him to say that Letitia James is biased against him. And everybody can say, sure, Trump says it. This is why when Trump was actually president, the Republican soundbite they wanted the most was Trump. Not another Republican. Because I think they felt they'd already damaged Trump as a credible source. So they always thought he is the Republican Party. He is the Republican soundbite we're always going to pick. And there's this idea that somehow only a massive outrageous liar would use a fact and call James a Democrat. Robert Costa on CBS News did, uh, listed the probes here. Listed the probes against Trump. And in none of them did he mention that these were all Democrats. There are other Trump-related investigations. A criminal inquiry by the Manhattan District Attorney into his businesses there. A Georgia probe into his efforts to overturn the state's 2020 election results. And a federal grand jury hearing witness testimony about Trump's activities related to the 2020 vote. Okay, so the Manhattan District Attorney who was going after Trump was Democrat Cyrus Vance Jr. Yes, that's the son of Jimmy Carter's feckless and pretty much pacifist Secretary of State. Now it's uh, elected Democrat Alvin Bragg. He cooled down the effort to indict Trump which led several hot-to-get-Trump prosecutors to resign. But the investigation's still ongoing. That's where Costa can list it. Then there's Fulton County, Georgia, where elected Democrat District Attorney Fannie Willis is investigating Trump's awful-sounding request to find him 11,000 votes in Georgia. Now, does anyone believe... District Attorney Fannie Willis isn't interested in enhancing her appeal to Democrat constituencies? Maybe she wants to be a member of Congress, House or Senate. Maybe she would like to be governor someday. She wants to be the next Stacey Abrams and pretend to be governor of Georgia. But, you know, Robert Costa just thinks, well, we're just going to list all these things to basically suggest that Trump is in trouble. And it doesn't really matter whether they're all Democrats, but it obviously does matter. And this is here we are on the network, CBS, where Dan Rather always wanted you to know that Kenneth Starr was a Republican. And now Robert Costa can't find a D for any one of these people. To close out today, I would like to spend just a few minutes talking with the interns here before they depart for college We've had five summer interns writing for Newsbusters this summer. 
But only three of them had the pleasure or the pain of working with us in the news analysis sector of the building. It's always good to have fresh eyes in the room. And we are not putting on the kind of internship where we're ordering them to go out and get us a sub, no pickles, and pick up our dry cleaning while you're at it. No, we bring them in, they take a seat, put on the headphones, and analyze the media output alongside the rest of us. We hope this is a learning experience and not something that completely destroys their youthful feelings about America's future. So let's meet them for a second. Margaret Buckley is going to college in D.C. She'll be a senior this year at the Catholic University of America, which is dangerously close to the network TV bureaus on Capitol Hill, just a few subway stations to the south. Coming from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, she's studying politics, Chinese, and U.S. intelligence. So I decided to apply to uh, MRC and Newsbusters because I love analyzing things. I, I, as, I, as I think I previously mentioned to people around here, I hope to go into U.S. intelligence after I graduate come June 2023. And I wanted to learn how to analyze better, and I wanted to learn how to improve my writing. So, and so that's why I love Newsbusters, and that's especially why I loved watching Morning Joe. There was just a lot to analyze and a lot to learn, and it was overall such a great experience. So we subjected you to Morning Joe. You made it. <laughs> Did you end up smarter or dumber? <laughs> I, am, I am very proud to say that I, even Mr. Bozell even asked me if uh, I was poisoned by them. No, I, I came out. I'm still conser proudly conservative. I did not I have not I did not get brainwashed or poisoned in any way. The only thing I got out of it was a bunch of laughs from the so-called conservative that proudly has Morning Joe. I remember my dad used to watch Morning Joe like the first two years, like when I was between the age of seven and nine. I mean, I'd be up at six because my body naturally just woke me up and it was nice hanging out with my dad. So I'd watch Morning Joe. But after a while, he stopped watching it. So yeah. when he did find out that I was watching Morning Joe, he's, he just said, yeah, I used to watch him, but he got so obnoxious that I stopped. Aiden Morehouse is a rising junior at Christendom College, a Catholic school an hour west of us in Front Royal, Virginia. He is pursuing a degree in history and writes for the college's student magazine on current events. So I thought, hmm, that sounds interesting. And I took a look at that. And I had always followed politics from uh, like all, all through high school. And I was, I was aware of the media bias. I was very annoyed by it. But I wasn't sure if there was much I could do about it. Yeah. And then as I looked into it more, I realized, wait, this is an internship where not only can I just watch cable news, watch the media bias and get angry about it. I can do something about it. I can write about it. I can point it out to other people. So I just jumped at the opportunity when I realized that it was available. Uh, so right now, my plan is to go into higher education at some point. Uh, hopefully a field in history, what specific era, I'm not quite sure. I did do a bit of research into uh, the role of the media during the Vietnam War in uh, my my semester this spring and I really enjoyed that so um yeah hopefully I'll uh I'll yeah hopefully pursue a career in education well that would be rare we don't have enough right-wingers in the in academia what did we mostly make you watch what was the suffering experience um you usually made me watch New Day oh CNN in the morning so did that teach you anything 
Um, it actually taught me a lot. Yeah, I would say I sometimes I felt that I lucked out because generally they weren't as obnoxious as Morning Joe or Don Lemon. But it's an interesting cast on New Day because you, you get a variety of bias because you have John, John Avalon on there often. And he has this really obnoxious form of bias <laughs> where he presents where he'll he'll always be complaining about the partisanship that's tearing the country apart. But conveniently, the partisanship only applies to the people that he disagrees with, because yeah. if you agree with Avalon, then, then you're you're a good faith civil servant just looking for to solve things in a bipartisan manner. Emma Schultz will be a sophomore this fall at Colorado Christian University in the Denver area, but she's from Wisconsin, the Badger State. She has represented her alma mater as captain of the speech and debate team. Let's hope we helped the captain. I expected, honestly, just to learn how to write better. And I definitely did learn that, but I learned a lot more things. Um... I learned how to critically think. I came in here knowing what I believed and why I believed it, but I also learned throughout this internship why it's so important to know other people's perspectives and other people's opinions and to listen to those and to critically think through those and really question yourself on why you believe what you believe. And I think growing up in a very conservative-minded family, um, I grew up in knowing what I should know. And I grew up like with that impression of, yes, you should know this, yes, you should know that, yes, you should believe in this. And I formed my own opinions, but coming to the most liberal city in America and watching Don Lemon every morning, it's really, it's been very helpful in just challenging my thoughts. I definitely asked for prayers multiple times (laughs) from the other interns. Um, Sometimes you just have to sit there and chuckle. I really do. I would say he's the dumbest. I just, I just don't know what to think about just what goes on in his head. I Him and Laura Coates both, because she, sometimes she subs in for him as well. Mm-hmm. And and the, the, they proclaim that they're journalists. It's kind of crazy to me. And just the fact that they so blatantly like admit that they're just brainwashing <laughs> the American public yeah. is mind-boggling. We took them out the other day for Mexican food and fellowship to thank them for their efforts... We are very proud of our internship program, and we can boast that we have illustrious former interns in influential spots in national conservative media and politics. We can only hope to have a few teaching college. This is our chapter of the vast right-wing conspiracy. So we hope you enjoyed our interns reading them this summer and the rest of us. When you come to Newsbusters, once, twice, 24 times a day, thanks for listening.